sometimes it is hard to live by faith. Um, so many things that stand in our way. I want to ask you this question as we get started this morning. Think about the last time that fear kept you from doing something. When was that? When was the last time fear kept you from actually doing something that you knew that you were supposed to do? <laughs> uh, here recently, I was out with some relatives, and uh, when we got done with dinner and things, we had gone back out to our cars, and I was going to get in my car, they were going to get in their car, and I saw them just standing there, looking at their car, and I was going, okay, this is interesting, it's, and I got in my car, and they were still standing there, looking at their car, <laughs> so I stopped, and I drove by, I said, what's the matter, and they just went like that, and uh, y'all see when these crickets come into town, and they're just everywhere, well, they had parked right in the light where crickets were just everywhere, all over their car. And they were going, they're even jumping on the side of it. There's no way I'm getting into that car right now. Crickets were all over the ground, they were, and they were just hitting the side of the car. And they were just standing there. I'm like, well, you got to go home. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. I, they, I think they were ready to just stay at the restaurant all night long because there was no way that they were going to go toward that vehicle, and I think I shared some with, with this with some of you earlier. I shared that same story. We got in the car. I got in the car for them because I wasn't bothered by crickets. I was like, look at all the bait. We can go fishing forever. Um, and so I, I got in the car and I backed it out. And when I backed it out, I guess because it was warm under the car, there was a a outline of the car in crickets underneath. <laughs> it was just a solid parking space full of of crickets. Yeah, you think about it, it's like. Well, that's your only way you're getting home, near the car. And I just thought it was funny. And if you think about it, it's like, well, that's your only way you're getting home because I know you're not walking from this place. And I know you can't stay here all night, but they were just frozen. And if we think about this in the context of, of having a life of impact, we need to understand that fear is the enemy of impact. Fear is the enemy of impact. And we talked about this from the start with this series. If you're going to have a life of impact. That's your first blank, by the way. Fear is the enemy. Um, if you're going to have a life of impact, impact is going to run into something. And, you know, I know from way back when I played football, which was a way back time ago, you know, if you were scared of getting hit, you really didn't need to be out there. That's just it. Because you were the one that was going to get hurt. But if you didn't have any fear of getting hit, if you were running full blast and you're doing things right, then the chances dropped greatly that you were actually going to get hurt playing that game. But if you're, you're going around like this on the football field, ow, you know, you're, you're going to end up getting hurt. So fear is the enemy of impact. And I think God knows this in the life of Paul. We're, we're in Acts chapter 18 this morning, and we have been working through the book of Acts this year. Uh, starting in January, and we're here now to Acts chapter 18. I'm not going to catch you up on the whole thing, but I'm just going to let you know that it's an incredible picture of how the church begins and, and starts in Jerusalem and spreads out from them and is all over. And we've picked it up at this point in time with Paul, and he's out on these missionary journeys with other people. And it seems like here's a pattern that we've seen in Paul's life, that everywhere he goes, he shares the gospel. And people come to know Jesus Christ, and there's incredible life change that happens, and incredible hope, and incredible joy, and then here comes this uprising of opposition at the same time, 
And so he, everywhere he goes, it seems like things are happening good, and then opposition rise up, rises up against him, and there's this difficulty. But we have almost this little pause in the middle of things where we're talking just about Paul, and we see some other things that are happening at this point in time, and we get introduced to, to a few other people in this passage. It's a little bit long, but I want to read the whole thing for you uh, this morning, and then we'll talk through it. It says at the beginning of chapter 18, it says, After this, he left Athens, he being Paul, he left Athens and he went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So here we go, the pattern with Paul. He goes into the synagogue and he's trying to teach. He goes it everywhere he goes. Verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to the preaching of the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes. He told them, your blood's on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. And then look very carefully at what happens here in verse 9. It says, then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, do not be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the world what God tell Paul not to be among them. I'm going to pause here for just one second. Why in the world would God tell Paul not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. So it wasn't just like, hey, Paul, just in case one day you might maybe get afraid, just remember, don't. No, it wasn't that. Paul was probably getting weary of everywhere he's going. He's trying to share the gospel. He sees a few things happening good, but, man, then here comes the opposition. And he's getting threatened, and he's getting beaten, and he's getting sent to jail, and he's getting all these things happening, and I'm sure there was some fear that was welling up in him, and I would even say that at this point in time, it's quite possible that Paul was ready to say, I'm done. I'm just, here's enough. And so God comes to him in a vision to say, hey, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. As a matter of fact, something unique happens here. He stays here a year and a half. Paul typically didn't stay in these places this long, but God told him, hey, I need you to stay here and, and just don't be afraid of what's going to happen. And so Paul actually leaned into this place a little bit more than the others. It goes on in verse 12. It says, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. <laughs> right after God tells him not to be afraid, we get this. This man, they said, is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing of a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be the judge of such things. 
So he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized this poor man, Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. Now, isn't that great? Paul is used to getting all these things happening to himself. But at this point in time, right as Paul's about to defend himself, this man just goes, I don't even care about it. And then it's not Paul who's dragged out and beaten this time. It's the leaders. Isn't it great that Jesus says, look, Paul, don't fear. I'm going to take care of you. And then right after this, we get a story of how God took care of him. It turned the tables. And I think that gave Paul hope. And then we turn the corner here and we see some new people. It says, after saying some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head because of a vow he had taken, and when they reached Ephesus, he left them there. But when he himself entered the synagogue and debated, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined. He said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. On landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he set out traveling through the one place after another in the region of Galatia and Phrygia and strengthening all the disciples. So here's this story. Like I said, it's, it's kind of tucked in the middle of the, between the second and the third missionary journey of Paul and all these things where we're meeting some new people. We're seeing some things that are going on. But right in the middle of this story, we have... God reminding Paul, stay on mission, don't be afraid. You know, if we're ever going to have a life of impact, we're going to have to learn to trust in God and overcome the fears that we really may have. I mean, I seriously, I go back to this picture of my relatives just standing there looking at the car. I'm like, that's your only way home. You're either going to have to wait till every cricket leaves, which will be December after the first good you know, or you're going to have to figure out how you get past this and move. But here's the other thing, and we're going to talk about this this morning. Do you know how they got past that? I got in the car and moved it. Because sometimes we just have to remember that there are some things that might paralyze us, but God has strengthened others along for the journey. So we're going to look at this a little bit. But the first thing that we need to see in here, what does it take for us to make an impact the first thing that we have to have, if we're going to make an impact in other people's lives, we have to have a devoted heart. Our heart is going to be devoted to something. Our heart is going to be sold out to something. We're going to be pursuing something. Whether you're even trying to or not, you just have to realize that God created you and he wired you for your heart to be devoted and to follow something. And most of the time, our struggle is not necessarily following God or following something else. It's usually following God or following self. And so we have to figure out, are we going to be devoted to myself or am I going to be devoted to the things of God? And so Paul, the picture that we see here is that Paul was willing to do whatever it took to get the message out. That's incredible devotion that should inspire us. And in the middle of his devotion, we need to remember, he still had fear, he still had pain, he still had things that were difficult along the way. So what in the world would motivate someone to continue to get this message out when everywhere they went there seemed to be this difficult trouble. It has to be worth something. So when I see the story of Paul, I'm encouraged and say, following God has to be worth it, or this man was just absolutely insane. One of the two things. And I don't think he was. I think he was brilliant. I think he was still just a man, and he had his own issues and other things like that. 
But I think that there was something that we see in Paul's life that says there has to be something worth giving my life to, to have that type of incredible devotion. To give you a picture of this type of incredible devotion, you need to think about this. When we talk about Paul, you know, we read it in here, and we read about, well, Paul went to this place, and Paul went to that place. And if you actually start to map it out, in about a four-year period, Paul traveled about 2,000 miles by foot and about 2,000 miles by boat. That's back 2,000 years ago where we didn't have Nikes, okay? And we didn't have things like that. I mean, Paul is traveling all these places by foot and by boat with the technology back in the day to share this message. And he did all that as, a, as a, about a three- to four-year period as a man who was getting beaten everywhere he went and bruised and battered, and he wasn't getting any younger when he's doing all this. Man, he had every excuse in the book to go, hey, I'm retiring. It was a good run. That's awesome. This was great, but I'm done with mine now. You know, it really, this is a younger man's game. So, Paul, you know, I've walked 2,000 miles. Isn't that, isn't that enough? Let's just hand this off to somebody else. Paul never quit. Never quit. Um, there's not the word retirement in the book of Acts, or I'd be glad to preach about it. But it's not there. Now, sometimes God moves us from one assignment to another. Sometimes we work a long time at one occupation to fund the things that we've really been wanting to do in our lives, but God can use all of these things all along the way. And Paul was devoted to the point that he never, ever, ever stopped. And every stop that he went, every place that he paused and he shared the gospel, it brought great joy and great opposition. But he never quit. He overcame his fears. He overcame all the difficulties, and he was devoted to sharing that mission in my life. I want something deep down inside him that motivated him, and I want to have that type of devotion in my life. I want something in my life that, that, that's so worth giving myself to that you want to do those things. And you know what? I've found it. It's in Jesus Christ. I've found it. it. It's there, and I can tell you that. It's, it's the truth. And I know all of you go, well, I expect the pastor to say that, right? Yeah, okay, great. Well, you expect us to say it because it's true. And I'll tell you this, if you will find that person of Jesus Christ, and you will devote yourself to him, then you will go on this incredible journey of life with him and experience life like never before, and it'll be worth it every step of the way. Though, there'll be ups and downs and highs and lows and difficulties along the journey, but it'll be worth it. Because the truth for us is we need to understand that when we start wanting to share the gospel message, the gospel message is about investment. It's not about convenience, you know? We, we're making an investment in someone else. We're not doing it just when it's convenient. Paul, Paul wasn't going, well, what's the easiest way to do this? Or how? Paul was saying, I just want to invest in other people. And Paul and his partners in ministry were planting the seeds of the gospel everywhere they could. And they invested into people and into places to see the work of God change lives and bring hope and break chains and addictions and barriers and watch people live in the freedom of Christ like never before. And I'm sure that was an exhilarating ride, even though it may have been difficult along the way as well. Because not everywhere they went did they see the same kind of things happening. As a matter of fact, one of the pictures that we see is how Paul kind of does things a little bit differently everywhere he is just to be sure that he can share the gospel in the clearest way possible. And not everywhere that they go did they see great growth. Some places took hold of it immediately. Others took time to see fruit. But they continued to share no matter the results because their devotion was appropriately focused. You know, you realize that there have been some things in our lives probably, I know there is true for me, 
that, man, we've sold out to, we've given ourselves to, we've invested into. And then you just kind of go along and you go, well, this really isn't all that important. And it kind of fades and it kind of wanes and it kind of goes to the side. But when your devotion is appropriately focused, then you can continue to pour yourself into something and pour yourself into something. And it just continues to grow and be worth it no matter what. And if you want to be a person of impact, the, the, the key here is, is not to look to self and not to get things from the inside and motivate. Get your eyes off yourself. Look up and be a person of, of impact is to do this. Look up. Get your eyes off yourself. Look up and then look out. Look out and see what there is before you. Find something worth giving your life away for. Because the more you just look at self, just to be honest with you, the more you look at self, the deeper you just kind of dig into a hole. And eventually that brings nothing but loneliness and shame. I'll just tell you that. Because the, the, the more that you just get absol you know, absorbed into self, then the more you isolate yourself from other people, the more it gets all about you, the more that nobody really wants to be around you. Because you're all about you. And then that just becomes a very lonely and detached place. But there's really only one way to fix that. Look up and look out. Get involved in the lives of other people. Pour yourself out for them. And this is what Paul was doing because he understood that the hope of the gospel through Jesus Christ, that God offers a better way, that God offers a better truth, that God offers true life, that through Jesus, that's what we can see. And so that leads us to kind of this, this next thought. Another thing about a life of impact is that you need to remember you're not alone. So you can write that in your blank. I need to remember I'm not alone. Now, there is something that is right in front of our noses in the book of Acts but sometimes we miss it because it's so obvious. And I have to be honest, as I thought about this, people pointed this out. I, I prepared to preach this in the coming weeks. I thought, I don't know. I'm sure other people have pointed this out. I, I, I'm sure they have. I'm not the first to figure this out. I know that. But for me, I can't ever recall somebody else talking about this, even though it's so obvious. And, and, and here it is. Paul never went on a mission trip alone. We talk about Paul. And Paul's missionary journeys. And we look up this with Paul and this about Paul. And Paul wrote this and Paul did this. Paul never went on a mission trip alone. Not once. And neither should you. It was Paul and Barnabas. It was Paul and Silas. It was Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. It was Paul and Timothy. And the list goes on. Every time Paul got up to go somewhere, he had people going with him. Paul was not the lone ranger. In fact, I would tell you that I'll say this. Paul would never have the impact that he had had he done these things by himself. Never. Paul always had someone with him on the journey, and he did not have to run the race alone. Can you imagine trying to deal with these things and it's just you? I'm sure he would have quit somewhere along the way. So you need to remember you're not alone in this, nor should you be. Don't go alone. And it's a real simple reason. The enemy wants us all to be isolated. The enemy wants us to be kind of off by ourselves, detached from everything, not real connected with anything. But God wants us to be connected. And so he gives us one another as this gift and encouragement along the way. And so can I just challenge you with something? I, I want to give you this challenge this, this morning. If you're serving somewhere, if you're volunteering somewhere, whether it's in the community, whether it's in the church, I don't, I don't care where it is, can I please ask you to do something Will you invite someone to do that with you? If you're teaching a Sunday school class, will you go ask someone to teach that with you? 
If you're volunteering to serve somewhere in the community, will you go ask someone else to do that? Will you invite other people along the way? I think sometimes we get lazy and we think about the organizations and we go, um, you know, these people are supposed to give me people to help do the things that I'm called to do. No. If God's put something on your heart, then you look around in the circle that you have and say, will you come and do this with me until you find the people who will come and do this with you. And then that's how this message grows. Everywhere Paul went, he went with other people. So if you have a place where you're volunteering, where you're serving, where you're doing something, would you please ask someone to do that with you? Because there's the other pattern that we see in Scripture. Paul invites these people on these trips, and then over a period of time, they start doing their own thing. And when they start doing their own trip, they start inviting other people along the way. And Paul goes and gets someone else and invites them along the way. And that's how the gospel message grows. And that's how we get discipled. And that's how we learn. Discipleship, I've told you before, the word that I use for it all the time, it's a beautiful mess. But at its simplest thing, it's life together. It's life together. It's looking at somebody else and saying, you want to do life with me? Here's what I do. And you let them come along with you. Don't do life alone. Go invite your neighbor to be involved in what you're doing. Go invite your friends to be involved in what you're doing. If you're teaching a Sunday school class, if you're serving at the Center of Hope, if you're doing this, don't wait for an announcement at the church to make it happen. You go find someone else and say, go on this journey with me. It's awesome. And find someone to do. Now, there's a flip side to this. If you're not serving somewhere, if you're not pouring yourself out to try to make an impact, will you go find some place to pour yourself out and make an impact, please? And if you don't know what to do, then go look at someone who's serving and just say, can I do this with you? And that's how you can start doing these things. It's just, it's honestly, it's that simple. We make this so hard sometimes. And it's just that simple. Your impact in this world and your positive influence on others will absolutely multiply exponentially if you will do that. If you will just stop doing things alone. Look at the partnership with Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And then it leads to this impact on Apollos that we're going to get to talk about later. And so you got to understand this. If you want the good news to change others, then you need to share it. You need to share the load. You need to go on the journey with other people. Now I know. Some of you might be thinking, Lindo, I'm just in a tough season of life. I'm, I'm hurting, I'm sad, I'm lost, I'm confused. What, whatever it is, it's a difficult season. I know you may be thinking, I don't know that I have anything left to pour out to somebody else. Can I tell you a little secret that I've picked up along the way? That's absolutely the time you need to be pouring out to somebody else. Because this amazing thing happens in our life that when we start pouring ourselves out to other people, then the only person left to fill us up is God. And and those times where we think, I just have nothing to give, and so we sit and we just sit empty. When we'll just take the last little thing that we have and we'll start pouring those things out to God. It may be the simplest way that we could possibly do that. Then the amazing miracle happens that God begins to speak and move in your life. And you begin to, to get up and you begin to walk a little bit more again. And so I'm convinced that Paul had learned this along the way. And that was the thing that kept motivating him. Right as the point that he seemed empty, he would just give the last thing away. And God would refill him and send him out again. And that's a pattern I think we can all learn from. And I'm going to tell you this, that's one of those things that makes no logical sense but perfect biblical sense. And so if you're sitting there going, that makes, that makes absolutely no sense. I can just tell you, well, read the Bible. 
There's plenty of things in there that make absolutely no logical sense, but perfect and beautiful biblical sense. And when we do those things, we don't experience logical life. We experience spiritual life and an incredible life like none other. And so you can keep trying to figure out your way to God, or you can just begin to trust him and do the things that he called us to do and begin to experience that life like no one else. And so this is one of those points. And then there's one more thing happening in this passage that's truly key for impact. (laughs) And I'm chuckling because I honestly love it when we get to talk about this thing. Because you ready? You ready for the next point? And then everybody can kind of hold on to their chair. Okay, you ready? Here's Here's the next point. Generosity drives the mission. Uh-oh, pastor's going to talk about money. Amen, yes he is. Because it's right here in this passage. Generosity drives the mission. It says in verse 3, since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to the preaching of the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Look what happened here. When Paul went out on mission, the resources weren't there for him to do nothing but the work that he was called to do. So he got a job. And he worked as a tent maker at the same time that he still was doing the things that God called him to do. And so he got the job done while he was building tents for a living. And then when Timothy and Silas arrived from Macedonia, they arrived with a gift from the Macedonian church that allowed Paul to devote himself full-time to the gospel ministry. Now I want to say something about First Baptist Church. We are an incredibly generous church. So the reason I also get excited about talking when it talks about generosity or when it talks about finances or when it talks about money is because our church rocks at it. I'm not standing up here going, guys, come on, we've got to do better. Oh, my gosh. I get to stand up here and go, you people are incredible. This This is an amazing church that makes an incredible impact through generosity. Right now, I'll just give you the little brief thing, even though we're not having a business meeting, okay? We're sitting here in the middle of September. We're ahead of budget. Your giving has us ahead of budget by about $20,000. That's great, okay? Yeah, we're giving to missions. We're about this close to reaching our goal to, uh, to give $5,000 to the Texas State Missions to Mary Hill Davis offering. So I trust that today a few more people will give to that offering and we'll even reach that goal. And, and so it's incredible to be in a place that understands that, hey, we give and we understand this is how this works. But you need to understand that we also want to do more. And that's not just your staff saying that. That's you saying that. There are more things that we would like to do to make an impact for the gospel ministry here in Weatherford and even beyond. We have people that are going mission trips next year. We have people who are wanting to partner with, with getting the word out in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and other places like that. So there's always more things that we want to do. And do you know how we're going to do more things? It's when more people get involved and when more people give. It's like, wow, that's a shock to everyone in an organization, isn't it? How do you get more things done? Well, if you get more people involved, if you have more resources to work with, you can probably do more. I'm going to write that down. That's good, Lundell. Thank you. And so this is the truth. 
And I'm going to tell you this, if you're not familiar with, with giving, how it happens here in the Bible and how it's supposed to happen in the church, I do want to talk about this for a little bit. God gives us a biblical pattern all throughout Scripture about how we're supposed to give. It says that we're, we see this pattern all throughout Scripture that the first 10%, also known as the tithe, You've heard people say that. The first 10% of the income, the first 10% of the crops, the first 10% of the livestock, the first, that's given to God. It goes to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The church. So the biblical pattern for giving is this, is that the first 10% of everything that we have, it goes to the church. Now let me tell you something. We do good as a church in giving, but we don't tithe 100%. 100% of our people are not tithers. I'll just tell you that. So could you imagine the impact that we have now and what we could have if everybody just did that much? I mean, it would be incredible what's happening. And you know what the funniest thing is, and I'm over time as of now, and we're just going to keep going. All right. You know what the funniest thing that I hear is all the time? It's so crazy that when we have little and, and it's go, I need to tithe, and we write that tithe check, and it seems like a small tithe check, but we go, oh, God, I'm giving that to you. And then all of a sudden we get successful. And we go, ooh, that's a big tithe check. Church doesn't need all that. Whoa, 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 Wait a minute. God just gives us this pattern. The first 10% goes to him as a reminder of what God has done for us. As a reminder that he's the one in charge, that he's the one that gives the blessing, that he brings the things. It's not about what you think the church should or shouldn't do. It's about the, the blessing that we have of giving and reminding ourselves that God gives us this opportunity. So it's just to remind us that God provides everything Anyway, he's worthy of worship. So that's the pattern for giving. But then there's another pattern that's in giving that is we get to go above and beyond just giving the tithe. And God gives us opportunities to be generous. You see, being a believer in Christ, a all-in follower of Christ, it's not just about meeting the minimum, is it? It's about being sold out. It's about being all-in. And so we have opportunities not just to give our tithe, but God also shows us ways where we can go above and beyond. And that's what's happening here. The church in the Macedonia area said, Paul's trying to do this mission work over here, and the man's working and doing tent work while he's trying to be out here, and he's the best person, and we want to help him do that. So they take up offering, they give it, they give it to me, and when he shows up, they go here, and Paul goes, okay, I'm now able to give my full devotion to this. If we want to do more as a church, then the answer is real simple then we're going to be invested more. We're going to invite more people on the journey. We're going to get more people involved in serving. We're going to actually do hands-on work. We're not going to retire and move on. We're going to get involved. But then we're also going to invest ourselves. We're going to give. We're going to be all in. And that's what it means. And look, I'm not talking to you about, well, if you give to God, then he'll bless you. I don't even care about that part of it. That's not what the equation is. If we want to see the gospel move forward, then invest in it with your time and with your money. And I think it's worth every minute and every penny that you can give, period. And that's what we see here. And we wouldn't have known some of the things that we know had people not been generous at that point in time. Generosity drives the mission of Paul, and generosity drives the mission of First Baptist Church. And I love saying that while we're ahead of budget and we're meeting goals and we're doing stuff because I look at all of us and I go, but I know you want to do more. I know I want to do more. I know we can do more. And so as God leads you to do that, then I pray that you will do that. And so it's because the others gave that Paul was able to devote his full time to the work at hand. And so it's a truth that when, when we give more, the bigger impact we will have. 
Give more time, bigger impact. Give more money, bigger impact. Give more influence, bigger, bigger impact. These things happen, and this is what we see happening here. I love the fact that right there in front of our face, Paul never does this alone. He invites other people along the way. So we have a model here of how we can have an impact. First of all, we devote ourselves to something worth devoting ourselves to, and that's the mission that God's given us. And then we don't do that alone. We invite people to join us along the way, and we take this trip together in life. And then we just go all in with our time, with our talent, with our money, and we just see what God can do to bring an incredible life. But you can't do that if you don't first have a relationship with Christ. So I just want to ask you this question as we close this morning, and it's really simply this, will I go all in? Will I go all in? There's no just kind of doing this a little bit. You're either in or you're not.